Yeah, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the first episode of Hadi Arabia. My first guest is Dr. Hadi Halazon, who I've known for 35 years. We're both five years old, so to the extent that you can know someone at age five. I'm lucky to have him as my first guest, not only because he's been on the front lines of the COVID-19 emergency efforts uh, in New York City, which is the epicenter of probably the global pandemic, but also because I know him so well, it will ease my nerves, uh, this being my first podcast. So Hadi, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, man. So I'm sure you're sick and tired of Talking about your experience as a doctor in New York City, it's April 11th today, which is somewhere around the peak. Hopefully, the peak isn't far from now. Do you think it's? Do you think that we're that that you're you're seeing the peak, or there's a different way to measure it? How do you think of it? If you were to ask me mid-February or late February about the coronavirus, I I still thought it was overblown as a as an issue. You know, the the, the timing then Italy hadn't seen many cases. And so uh, it was just more or less isolated to China and it was often very hard to understand or trust whatever information is coming out of China. Slowly but surely after reading the experiences in Italy, I realized this was a, is a, big, a bigger deal than, than I or anyone had expected. And it's not until I actually started seeing some of the patients that uh, are coming in and, and figured that this is much different than anything we've ever seen before, both on a pathophysiological level and on a global community level. To, to get to your question about have we reached the peak or, or, or how am I thinking about it, um, it's complicated because the peak is dependent on where you live in the world. If, um, you know, I'm talking about the, the peak for New York City specifically. And is it, peak do you think City, of yeah. it as a rate of admissions or rate of death or how packed okay. your hospital is? The, the way I personally think about it is not in terms of death, even though that's the most tragic number to follow. I think that the more correct number to reflect the gravity of it is the number of people who are on ventilators. And in fact, in my hospital where I work, we have around more than 200 people on ventilators, but our death rate on, on the ventilator seems to be lower only because we have a, the expertise, and B, the, the capacity to grow the staffing, both doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, and so on. Um, people are volunteering to come. So, so the lack of shortage of expertise is really what's really helping our numbers, our death numbers to be low. Mm. But as I said, death is not what I'm mostly concerned about, uh, even though it is on the personal and on the individual level what's most tragic. I think on the if you were to look at the pandemic and, and the, the impact on the communities, I think the, those intubated on ventilators will ultimately, and, and who make it, ultimately will be uh, a, a bigger number to worry about. And because, mostly because, you know, once you're on a ventilator for two weeks, you, you need a very long recovery time. And I think the capacity to accommodate those people in nursing homes, in, in rehab facilities, um, and so on, will be, will be the, 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 I'm not so sure about the capacity. I'm not sure what capacity places have to accommodate those people. Yeah. So yes, I think we've peaked in number of cases. Uh, I, I think it's still a very long road ahead. 
Yeah. I remember you uh, you sent me a week ago a, a photo of the hospital lobby, which is probably the same as most hospital lobbies in the U.S. or in big cities there with where there's yeah. a, where you have beds in uh, in random places where yeah. there usually wasn't any. Yeah, and and these and these are to accommodate. You know, keep in mind our hospital has stopped operating any outpatient for the most part, any outpatient procedures, <laughs> yeah. any elective surgical procedures, clinic visits have been converted to video visits. And, mm. you know, one has to question, you know, where are all these patients? You know, the, the hospital was operating at 85 to 90% capacity prior to this. Um, and granted, a lot of the capacity was taken up by elective procedures, but I don't think, I don't know the numbers, but I'm not so sure it's the majority of beds the majority of beds, I don't think, were taken up by elective procedures. And I think I, they I, I were don't know that, uh, emergency procedures, it. some of them. Yeah, people, people get admitted for, a lot, for medical and surgical admissions for emergent procedures. I don't think it's emer- – I, I, I don't know the numbers. Yeah. But we, where are they? You know, one, one has to wonder what's happening to the population that's sick with things other than COVID. Are they staying at home? To, uh, for fear of coming to the emergency room and thus becoming sicker, and are we going to see there's there's people oh. suggesting that we're going to go we're going to see a surge of non-COVID patients come through, and so the, what they're building in the hospital is to accommodate that surge. Some things you you Yanni, they're they're out of anybody's control, like a fracture or a uh, appendicitis, those have to be yeah. walk-ins. They can't be on video calls. Exactly, but oh. we're seeing a reduction of those. We're seeing well, a reduction in uh, number of heart attacks, reduction in admissions for heart failure, uh, wow. for fracture. Everything's, everything's down. And wow. one wonders why. Is it because people are staying at home and not going about their daily life? Are people not coming to? And I, I think it's too early to tell what the reasons are. I think we'll only be able to figure it out retrospectively looking for for accidents it's obvious when you're at home you're less likely to get into an accident but if it is also the same for pregnancies for delivery does your hospital see delivery walk-in down as well uh no because you're going to deliver and you're not going to deliver at home i hope Uh, (laughs) or or if you're close to the end of your term you probably left new york i scanned the delivery floor um and they have a lot of covid positive patients you know it's those it's a different population. They're, they tend to be younger and healthier, even though yeah. pregnancy is, is a risk. You, you can't go elsewhere. And, and usually the way the system works here is that you're attached for the most part to an obstetrician who works at a hospital system. And so you know where uh, you're going to deliver months in advance. It's not like yeah, you decide they are, you know. From, from a healthcare professional's perspective, there's two dates that you're, you think about. The date of when the lockdown in the community is done and the date when your when your work and your hospital goes back to normal functioning, and I think the latter is will be much more delayed than the former, mm. because I think the hospital has just completely transformed just to accommodate COVID patients completely. Wow! Um, and I think those will still come for a very long time, and those who are there who are sick are going to be there for a while, sadly. Wow! Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this but uh are you guys using the uh the hydroxychloroquine uh remedy or as as, as a yeah cure? so so are we using the hydroclock so we're 
we we do use yes, but we don't use the you don't use the combination that uh, has been touted in the media or that was studied in France with azithromycin. Uh, we mm. just use hydroxychloroquine. I think that's standard across all hospitals now to to use it. And the reason we use it, and we use it only for five days. Um, and the reason we use it is because, generally speaking, given in the control setting of being in the hospital, there's really little to lose by just giving hydroxychloroquine for five days. It's a very old and common medication, mm. you know, and the data that supports its use keeps on changing. And honestly, yeah. I think the risk, as we, we, the way we see it is that the risk is low enough. And and uh, what stage is a patient eligible to, to, to get it on? Is it? Before ventilation, or usually he has to be ventilated to get it. No, before ventilation. Before, okay. Is your our hospitals like already? They have a month uh, of data, but is it useful data, or it's not been compiled yet? If, if you ask, um, I honestly, you know, any data that comes out of this so far for me, uh, this is my own personal opinion, um, has to be taken with a grain of salt, with a little bit of skepticism. Yeah. I think people are. There's two reasons. One is, is you know, we don't have long-term data, which is, which is important for all of these kind of things. And secondly, I think there's an urge to come up with the newest, there's this drive to be, to be the one drug, to be the hero, to be the, the, the blockbuster, that to, to be the person who sol- solves this quandary that we're in. And I think that pushes, in, inevitably pushes to bias, inevitably pushes to, to, to publication early, yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if in a year from now, when, when all the dust settles, if it settles in a year from now, um, that, you know, a few things that we thought work don't and a few things that we didn't think work do. And and so what I do personally is we our hospital has, has developed um, protocols for how to take care of these patients, which I won't get into in detail. But, you know, having started the work in ICU more than a couple of weeks ago, till today we've been adding and taking away from that protocol and i just follow it i don't question and and i you know these are people who are leaders in the field and are very knowledgeable i'd rather personally stick to what the people who are professional doing it as opposed to getting dragged by you know the armchair experts on facebook and the media you know that's why i don't pay attention to much of the what we see on on social media yeah it makes my life much easier in in that way would you feel like you're in shock, emotionally in shock over the 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 scale of what's happening, the people dying? I mean, you've yeah, you've, yeah. What's how how are you coping with it? I, you know, it's um, I think the combination, the the, the what the, what what is difficult about the situation is that it's a twenty four seven presence in our lives obviously for everybody because your you your life has changed because of it not just mine right um but usually when you go to work for me you sort of can keep it at work i'm very good at separating my work from my personal life even when i'm on call and and i get calls at home it's still i still have a separate mindset unfortunately i feel what's been difficult is that i can't do that with this thing and whatever uh. i do at work it follows me home um, you know, you leave work and you're treating all, all we're treating is COVID patients. And then you go home and all you're seeing on the news is COVID. There's really nothing else that's being talked about between 
news calls you know your life our life is an up, upended We're yeah not- especially since uh, you have family and you have to worry about them and uh, it's a, it's always an issue i worry about my kid but i mostly worry about my parents honestly yeah. because they're the ones at risk and as you and i know we they had a close friend who just passed away with it and it just brings it that much closer to home and yeah. that's what worries me mostly plus the, the inability for me to hop on a plane and go back and see them and help and be there it's just i try not to think about that because right now it's it's a it's a it's not reality but if if that were to become reality and i just can't go back home yeah it, it's uh, yeah but ima- yani imagine um this is uh, the case with so many people even our our friend our very close friend whose father passed away a few days ago Um, they can't see their family they can't see yeah they can't see their mom who became a widow uh they yeah. couldn't they couldn't bury only one see i think you it's know unbelievable yeah. the the cruelty and the brutality and you guys see it as well because when somebody dies at your hospital you it's so, the protocol so yeah are, i i should make a comment about that the first is it sucks it's it's awful i can't imagine not being able to mourn but i think the way Jordan has handled the lockdown on the pandemic is something to be admired. With that said, I think preventing people from mourning together is a big mistake on their part. I think yeah. they should test the families and let them be together because ultimately that's what's most important for them. So and to translate that to what we do, we don't allow families in our ICUs unless someone is actively dying and actively dying is a is a is a term we use but it's someone who we think that our efforts have you know become futile and we are mm. almost certain that they cannot make it and we have transferred their care from something that focuses on on advancing the care to something that focuses on comfort and if yeah. we reach that point of comfort care we yeah. allow family one family member to come be with them and i think you know Jordan as the government has done really well but not allowing people to mourn um and I think all governments are doing the same but you have to allow them to at least go to their, each other's houses don't have a funeral is one thing but to ha- to prevent the daughter from seeing her mother is a, yeah you know it's it's, test, so, it's so cruel you can test them yeah yeah i mean jordan yes as you said it's commendable the uh, the quarantine efforts the lockdown efforts have been very effective and uh because jordan is effectively a police state um we were able to implement the lockdown fully the extreme measures they're taking with not allowing a mother who lost her husband for her daughter to come and hug her under yeah. threat under threat of arrest basically it's obviously they're they're saying and it's uh it's for the mother's benefit because she is uh, above 65 she's she's an elderly person can you imagine grieving at home by yourself without your kids and from a medical standpoint is the mother's been living with the now deceased husband she's been exposed to it for days she either is going to develop worse symptoms or she's already developed and it's when there's it's almost impossible that she doesn't have or, or now or now the antibody or yeah. had been infected it's no a, that's it's, true yeah the, uh, on top of the loss and the lack of closure you have then a feeling of of an injustice on top of that yeah <laughs> it's yeah and it's unbelievable the the amount of pain i it's we're i mean everybody i know 
is in shock just thinking about losing a loved one at this time and not being able to mourn or bury or console. Yeah. Especially in our culture, Damn. the mourning period and the and the aza is such a big part yeah. of our of of the positive part of one of the best parts of our yeah. culture is are these moments. Yeah, and, the, the um, social the, the the deep social connections, even though they're some of them are superficial, that occur during three day funeral yeah but this bring out these bring out the best in in our culture this these moments bring yeah. out the best yeah, in our yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we had a it's a sad story but we had a patient who got admitted she's in her 80s and she's on a ventilator and then a day or two later her husband gets admitted and then a day or two later her brother gets admitted because they're all living in close quarters the husband is now has passed away and so has a brother and she has no clue because she came in first so when we wake her up if she makes it she's going to wake up both a widow and have lost her brother can you i just can't imagine the world that she's going to wake up to after that wow wow you mentioned something about not being able to leave to leave your work at home dealing with with covid19 uh, at work, uh, not being able to leave it at work and come home and kind of separate. Uh, me as an as a business person, as an entrepreneur with uh, uh, employees that are waiting to hear back on their future and what's happening with their company, I'm living a completely different life than uh, than a doctor is or a nurse or anyone on the front lines is because I'm stuck at home. The emotional challenge that I'm feeling is immense. I mean, <laughs> I'm lucky that I have a lot of tools uh, that I've learned over the last few years, emotional management tools that I, that I practice like meditation and a lot of stuff like that. But uh, the last couple of days I've been waking up multiple times, like waking up at five and then maybe at six and then at seven and then at eight, waking up and staying in bed and going back to sleep but with, the, with the thoughts of having to shut down my business, with thoughts of the government uh, penalizing my business for laying off people, which uh, which which is becoming a thing now. The government is, of Jordan isn't allowing companies to lay off people uh, unless the company has renounced their business right to do business completely. So it's wow. either, yeah, it's, so it's that, very hard. So that's just to clarify to the people who don't know what's going on, have you laid off a lot of people? Honestly, I'd rather not say the status of my employees because there is a couple of nuanced uh, choices you can make yeah, uh, yeah. between understand between uh, unpaid leave. So, so let me re- rephrase the question or let me make a statement about that. Anna, I think that while it's challenging for me to be in the front lines and, you know, we can get hurt, I think the, what makes it easier is that people are cheering and you know it's a valiant effort you know anything we can do is great because it helps people right so you go home with a sound conscience i think your position is way harder than mine in so many ways because you a need to look out for your family but you also need to look out and your and your well-being and your financial well-being and you also have a responsibility towards your employees at which may or may not agree with the decision to lay off or not lay off or whatever it is yeah, I cannot imagine having to be responsible for that that kind of decision 
when ultimately, you know, there's almost never a good one. There's no, never no, a good listen, we're, we're in a lose-lose scenario. Exactly. Uh, right now. As, as, a business, no... as a business owner, you're really in the worst yeah. position. Yeah, I envy, I envy people who, who do not have a business to run and employees to deal with. Definitely. It, at uh, sadly, in, in this world, we have to keep it, always keep it in perspective that, you know, you're better off not being infected, being alive, oh, yeah. being lose a family. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But second to that, being a business owner, I think is... I mean, my business relied on the tourism sector in a big way. And I, 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 I currently, yeah, I currently have no income. I, uh, wow. The business doesn't, yeah. have I mean, cash, you're, you're... doesn't have cash to give to, to pay my salary as a manager. Uh, so I'm not getting a salary. I'm, I'm basically going to be working to rescue my business or liquidate my business, whichever, whichever is more reasonable to do over the next quarter. Um, yeah. And I will be doing it uh, for free. And if I decide to rescue my business instead of folding my business, I will be taking out a loan that I will wow. be paying back later myself just to keep it alive for... Could be six months, could be a year, could be two years. Keeping it alive without income, just to keep it alive, and then hopefully one day, the business model is sound enough for it to, to make money in the new post-COVID environment. Well, I just got off a a conference call by a uh, a renowned uh, corporate lawyer who is deciphering the latest uh, government uh, laws over what what small businesses should be doing right now and. The people that were calling in were everything from a hair salon to an architectural firm who lost all their business. Uh, I mean, everybody is suffering. And his answer was to all the questions, whether it's, uh, are there going to be unemployment benefits by the Social Security of Jordan, which has been silent right now, which has shamefully been silent, hasn't been willing to offer any unemployment benefits to, you know, uh, talking about take every month as it comes, because every week there's going to be new directives. The month of May is going to look very different and we're going to be in a different place than month of April could be worse. Uh, Ramadan is coming, which slows business yeah. down anyway. Yeah. I mean, Ramadan now, I'm not, we're not even thinking about the slowness of business in Ramadan because uh, if you're in retail, like half of my business is retail. <laughs> I mean, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the the scope, the scale of the of the disruption, the global disruption is is unbelievable. I mean, and I, I think what you're describing on the biz on the biz, small business level is also going to be reflected in uh, globally as countries. In other words, I think countries like small countries like Jordan who can't can barely swim and can barely make it on their own are really gonna really gonna suffer much harder than oh, countries yeah. that can obviously have an economy. I mean, it's usually like developing countries are going to suffer more. And I think Jordan took a really interesting bet, and I'm not following every country of its size, but a really interesting bet that its medical system will not be able to accommodate the absolutely. surge of patients. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think they're absolutely right. Um, but, the, but, you know, it's hard to explain... To, to the average person who's not getting an income that these preventative measures are better because they feel so bad. A yep. month, two months ago, we were downplaying this. I mean, I remember the first week of March, I was planning uh, purchase orders for my business as if things are going to stay normal. 
a week later, schools yeah. are shut. And then no, a week no, no. Later, I was planning a trip. We're... I was trying to trip to Miami, man. And I thought, you know, we're going to have a yeah. few days off. Oh, I don't go. And, you know. I'm... But I mean, I mean, aren't we? We're so complacent with our lifestyle. We're, we're almost on zombie mode because Chinese uh, COVID cases in February were, were insane, were dangerously high. What were we all thinking about? And also Italy and Iran were having insane cases in February. Yeah, we were just think, chilling. I th- like, I mean, yeah. most people were just I think chilling. This, yeah, but I think this is not a nature of us chilling. If Ebola, if, if it was Ebola in China, we would have freaked out. Hmm. I think the problem with this is that the percentages tend to be almost perfect to not cause enough worry yeah. and to cause enough damage. And I think, I think also though, the definition of, of the virus, it's that, that it's basically a stronger flu. Yeah, it, 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 which it, made a lot part, of people think, uh, yeah, and, it's, and it is, it is a definition, but, it's but the correct yeah. definition. <laughs> that yeah, that kind of uh, made people yeah. Uh, yeah. complacent. I mean, I'm on a Tony Robbins uh, WhatsApp group from an event that I was in Florida in December. And around a month ago, there was a message by Tony Robbins that was shared on the group that if you hear it now, you'd say, man, this guy is an idiot. He's, uh, he's downplaying it. He literally is saying, oh, this is just a heavy flu. I've never canceled an event in my life. And some people on the group were like, wow, you know how the, the cultish sort of following that uh, Tony Robbins yeah, alumni yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. But some people are like, wow, this is very irresponsible of him to say. And then obviously uh, two weeks later, he puts out a, a written statement on his website that, that uh, okay, we're going to cancel this, be safe, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, uh, back to the, the scale of impact on, on me as a business owner, sitting at home, digging a hole of debt to stay alive. I have a bunch of scenarios written out that range from complete liquidation to wow. merging with, with a, a, a supplier to just be, just be a stronger entity to survive, to, to scaling down by 80% just to stay. I cannot, I, I cannot imagine. Amman uh, <laughs> in the Middle East has been not doing so well economically. And I think that, you know, I, I, what I worry about is the, the unrest. Yeah, and you, honestly, yeah. you, you, you're sitting in front of a computer doing a podcast right now and yeah. you're well-fed, you're, you're doing uh, the majority of people. Oh yeah. Art. And um, I mean, listen, if, if, yeah. I, if I ever worried about Jordan is one thing and everyone's politically sort of the same, everyone's sort of religiously the same, but I think economically no one, I think that's a, that's a one thing Jordan doesn't have. And, you know, I worry. And then for the, yeah. into, you lived in New York for a while and, you know, New York, New York will come back. I'm not worried about New York City. New York City will come back. Yeah. It's just a matter of when and how yeah. and what it will look like. And I think there's, there's two theories going, looking, looking at, looking at in two separate, completely separate directions. One is, more corporatization of New York. In other words, like a lot of the bigger brand names come in and, you know, they have a lot of cash flow and so on. And they decide to buy up more property and open more branches and so on. And the other is that people are just going to leave because, you know, a lot of people are like, why are we putting up with the crowded spaces? Why are we putting up with the prices? Why are we putting up with all this? And now added to that, and and sandy you know we're low-lying city yeah and so why and now a pandemic with our hospital systems being broken and 
So why would we put up with this? So the theory, and which this is one I subscribe to, is that there's going to be an exodus of a lot of people who have means, have families, and older people may leave, which will result in a vacuum of wealth, I think. And it'll be, uh, it'll go back to what it was in, maybe it was what I hope, what it was in the 90s, early 2000s, when there was some grit to New York, the greediness of New York, the... Yeah. Like the the more local feel as opposed yeah. to the change. I I know that's a minor thing, but I bring it up with you because you lived here during that, or we lived yeah. here during that time. You lived here a little bit before me. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I it's, arrived it's, in the late '90s, and it was it was very gritty, and most uh, retail was was mom and pops. Like it wasn't yeah. franchise as and corporate yeah. as it is today. Definitely, it was cheaper. Obviously, very much cheaper to be there. Much cheaper, yeah. Um, and it's going to become cheaper to be here. I think real estate is going to take a big hit. I mean, New York sits sits in America, where you have three hundred million people can drive in and out of New York City. Uh, Jordan, Jordan is literally the opposite in every way. Jordan is landlocked politically. A Jordanian citizen cannot drive in any direction outside yeah, of Jordan. Absolutely. Cannot absolutely. I mean, yeah. every country imagine, that borders yeah. us is 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 basic is virtually impenetrable unless you have special permission or can just drive out of Jordan. Yeah, um, absolutely. And Which is a scary, yeah. scary thought to think when you think about it. If yeah, it's it's insane. I don't know. Jordan, Jordan uh, will survive. I'm pretty sure it will survive in terms of social unrest due to economic hardship. I mean, yes, not nothing has ever happened at this scale. Uh, to 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 compare it to nowhere nowhere that I know of and uh, but Jordan again is a police state where it's homogeneous as well um, and even even in terms of wealth class there are wealthy people in Jordan sure but the vast majority even myself as a business owner I'm a very small business owner the money I make from my business is very close to the money that my highest paid employee makes from yeah. as a salary. So <laughs> we're not talking about CEO pay where in the US it's like two dozen times or 50 times more than their than their average employee. So Jordan um can it survive? I mean, Jordan is great at mass action. This lockdown has been very well managed overall, although there hasn't been the tracing, the proper tracing of uh, infected uh, people like like the Korean model has been so impressive yeah. well. But there's a huge security and authority apparatus. It's it's been very well done. I heard they're building hospitals at every border crossing, including near the airport and at the Dead Sea, to manage wow. uh, to manage newcoming to open the to open the borders basically to open the borders and really quarantine people on the way in. Because I think that's that's the biggest thing for um, for Jordan too. Uh, yeah, borders are closed completely. Yeah, scary man. I mean, yeah, people flying in, including Jordanians like yourself. When are you coming back to see your parents? I mean, you're gonna. And I was come... gonna come. I was gonna come back in June for two weeks, and that's done. Yeah. yeah. My son's never been to Jordan, and I wanted to bring him. And you know, he's six months, and not yeah. that he's gonna remember, but it was a, it was meaningful for the family. Yeah. But can you imagine, like, a country like Jordan, whose budget of the government comes from sales tax, tobacco tax? Oh, and, and none of that is happening, huh? And a big chunk is also a traffic uh, violation, uh, traffic tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and and tourism fees like when you people coming in people going to petra yeah. for 100 bucks a pop these are all zero i mean i don't understand how how the government where the government's paying people 
from right now. It's, it's just nobody's paying taxes end of this month. It's been pushed. There's not a single tourist. There's nothing. Ha- there's nothing. Where is it's, it's a gigantic hole. Remember the last scene in Fight Club where... Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen it. Where they, 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 the guy is sitting uh, with a view of all the financial district towers and he blows up all the credit card companies uh, yeah. and gets the debt back to zero. Yeah. Kind of like gives everybody, you know, people my generation, the chills back then when you see it because it's such a fuck you to the corporate system. Yeah. Now people are talking about... I mean, Trump yesterday, I think, said, uh, okay, student loans, you don't have to pay right now. Oh, no, man. This virus <laughs> took America from being a capitalist uh, haven to a socialist state within two weeks. And now yeah. there's universal basic income. Everyone gets a check this, year, yeah. this month. There's no student debt. So he's basically, impl- Bernie Sanders' laws yeah. are basically coming <laughs> into play. Um, they're they're yeah. basically nationalizing healthcare in the sense that, you know, Insurance companies are told what they can, cannot do for people with COVID. The people who are being affected the most in this country because of the way healthcare and economics work are the poorer people. You need to pull up a, a, an image of uh, the map of New York City and uh, the, the highest number of cases by zip code. And you can overlay that on the average income. Yeah. And it's the opposite. So the highest... It's, it's remarkable. It's, you know, all the workers live in a one-bedroom apartment, but there are four people in Queens. And, and uh, they work in essential services, like grocery packing and yeah. um, restaurant, back to back in the restaurant. Yeah, deliveries and stuff. And I was thinking about you and Jenna, since she's into film, and so are you. And you know, it'll be a good, I'm sure it exists in some sci-fi film. And you know, some, uh, by the way, you may have want to edit out the sirens at some point, right? New York City, uh, that a movie about Jordan or some other small dictatorial nation being the only COVID-free enclave in the world, or people just fighting to travel to come to Jordan as a as refuge. The ultimate irony. Nice. Uh, speaking of COVID-free, uh, Yemen only has one confirmed case. How do they have tests in Yemen? I don't even know. Uh, I was thinking about that. I think that confirmed case is a Yemeni citizen who flew in knowing that he had COVID. Otherwise, how you're right. They they tested and they just found one guy. Plus, since malaria is a thing back in Yemen, many of them are going to be on the malaria medication. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, right. The benefits of being... uh, Imagine in Hala Yemen will be come out the, the uh, small mini superpower after all all economies crumble around it. <laughs> Shit, man! You've been in the hospital system in the U.S. for many years. Private hospitals, basically, correct? Uh, academic medical centers—they're not public yeah. in the sense that they're not run by the city or the government, but yeah. they're private. Yeah, but they're academic. It's it's sort of the hybrid in a way. I was watching uh, yesterday Noam Chomsky, who is still alive, commenting on America's performance in the, as a reaction to coronavirus compared to the rest of the world. And um, his opinion is the same as most progressives, like real progressive Americans, is that the capitalist system that's infiltrated every aspect of American services is always a just-on-time efficiency for-profit system that doesn't really allow for, it's not really equipped to manage big spikes that are very rare. 
like why would why would any american for profit business stock up on something that they'll almost never use they won't it's a waste of money so they just won't have it they won't have the capacity for it the government is also very uh, you know under a capitalist system not very uh, big at least in terms of helping the people they're big in the military sense the military industrial complex is big but the actual uh, helping regular people it's not really part of their business they're more mostly a libertarian capitalist uh, mm-hmm. approach so do you feel like this sort of thing is going to change should it change is a question and will it change is another question that's a tough question i think that yeah, it's not surprise to any, anyone that the healthcare system is in shambles in the united states it's it's privately run in many ways in the insurance system where the hospitals are privately run um and you're right as a result a lot of people are excluded from necessary care um that's where states and state medicaid and medicare come in more medicaid and state run hospitals or city run hospitals bear that burden and they tend to be of a lesser quality as a result i think it should change the the problem i'm hesitant because it's more complex than just changing the medical is it the know, insurance act. system also that's that's also, entangled with things. it a lot of things and i'm i'm slightly biased because i'm i'm obviously will be directly affected i think that if you're going to change the system you have to change the medical education system to go with it uh the, the amount of debt and i know this is not the the primary focus of changing medical is the amount of debt doctors have to leave with in medical school is, is wow. 150 to 300,000. dollars And so why would someone with that amount of debt settle for a government rate income so, after So that? you're thinking about you're linking uh changing uh, this a system that's more socially capable of handling these kinds of shocks is automatically going to be a system that pays the doctors less. Because it's more government run. 100% it has to be. Uh, okay, but let me ask you this. Uh, yeah, you you're the right. NHS, like the average income of the NHS, everyone in the NHS who wants to make a decent living works privately. Uh, some of our close friends, they, the bulk of their income comes from private work that they but do. Do you think not... NHS doctors have come out of med school with debt? I don't think no. they do. They don't. No. So the American system is broken on many sectors. The Absolutely. educational sector the American... is broken because people come yeah, out... Yeah. Even even if you get Absolutely. a even if you get a environmental studies degree from a good U.S. university, you're gonna on average come out apparently with at least fifty thousand, fifty to hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, <laughs> abso- right. absolutely. And, you and you're never gonna be able to pay. You're for You're never that. gonna pay that back. Yeah, and that's no. why your millennials are. No, the, yeah. So I, I think the, the, the I think you know the, the the question is really goes into sort of the, the entire American system of taking on large amounts of debt. And, you know, owing that over a period of time, I think that's what the problem is here. And, and, and it's similar to, to these private insurance mm. systems. Our, our hospitals, hospitals that are, gen, that are related to academic medical centers tend to not to generate that much profit. They reinvest a lot of what they do and they, they, their primary focus has shifted over the course of time. And whereas much of their money and their funding came from grants from the government to do research now it's clinical care that's sort of driving a lot of the a lot of the reimbursement and all that and still i think we want to change the system obviously to a more equitable one so that everyone gets good health care at a reasonable price not necessarily free i, I don't think i don't let think me ask you, let me ask something do i i I'm, I'm aware that senior citizens over 65 they have medicare medicare yeah and medicare is decent medicare. very good yeah um 
a lot of progressive politicians will tell you if you only all you need to do is add a very small tax to certain corporate sectors and to individuals obviously to american workers a small tax and you can expand medicare for all literally for all literally not just bring it down to 60 which is what joe biden is kind of saying oh let's say from 60 and above here you go here's like something for the progressive movement but if you just add from elizabeth warren to bernie sanders to even andrew yang they've all talked about taxing amazon let's say taxing amazon two percent and and go down the line from all these giant tech corporations you can actually afford medicare for everybody is that yeah, something I would, I would rather tax the, the corporations because they're sit, yeah. they sit a lot of cash of they sit a lot of profit and they're going to continue to profit i think taxing individuals for healthcare um this just specific healthcare tax on a certain after a certain income, I don't think it's fair. But can you imagine my you tax rate is forty-five percent right now. My tax rate entirely federal, state, city, mm-hmm. all that. So you're going to add eight percent to that. I'm going to say I'm going to keep less than half of my income, oh. which is what Europe does. Wait, hold no, on. No, obviously, if you add, if you I make Amazon pay the Amazon and those companies pay the lion's share, you won't be paying an extra. Maybe you'll pay an extra two percent. Whatever you're going to pay, I mean, Bernie Sanders has been very bad at communicating this. But whatever you're going to be paying, you as a mid-range earner in the U.S you're going to be paying extra tax that is far less than what you will be on average uh, having to pay out of pocket uh, over the years. That's, that's like a fact. Okay, that's, that's, one, that's one way to look at it. But the, the problem with me as being in having worked in these medical systems and seeing hospitals that are city and government run, the, the NHS probably works very much better than this, but currently I think a lot of people have a lot of distaste for the government-run hospitals because they tend to be much lower quality. Yeah. And so I understand they need more money because to get funding, high quality. Exactly. But it's yeah. a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Now, now I'm going to dump 8% of my, or like say 5% or 2% of my income into, and I live a block away from Bellevue Hospital, which is honestly a shit show compared to many other places. No, no, absolutely. Listen, you have to take that uh, off the... <laughs> you, there, there's no way... Listen, it's not... I, I, for me, as, a, as someone who's very left-wing on these issues, I realize it's a multi-pronged approach. I'm going to be devil's advocate. I think you're left-wing on these issues until you have to get the care yourself. No, I get it. I get it. And I would definitely want to use my own personal wealth to, to get the best care when, I, when it comes to myself, of course. And I've, I lived in the UK for three years and I have had to go into emergency care at NHS hospitals and it was unbelievably good three yeah. times in a row and I've visited friends who've been in ERs and I've had visited people who gave birth for free in the central London in excellent hospital ex- unbelievable hospitals yeah no and it's, I have and, and, I mean oh, this is all anecdotal evidence but they can do it it's I think the U.S. in general is too big to manage yeah. these things very simply and I also think yeah sorry to cut you too, off. it's too varied yeah, I think the managing the, the it's managing UK healthcare is much less complex than managing the American healthcare. Where literally the the, the just by by the, the sheer size of and the diversity of the country. I think. True, but also what uh, can you imagine how much less Canada and the UK have to deal with in terms of the bloated health yeah. insurance yeah. industry that makes billions? How many billions of dollars are yeah, ma- is absolutely. made profit pure profit by the absolutely. way by the brokers? Just the brokers. I mean, when you buy yeah, yeah, out-of-pocket yeah. insurance, when you buy a non-employer insurance, you have to go through a broker. 
Imagine those brokers make billions of dollars. I understand. No, no, I know. And, and uh, not so only that, on the, on the inside, the health insurance it, have companies get, themselves yeah, make they have billions. to <laughs> approve and not approve your, your, oh my your God, that's testing. such an admin cost. Admin costs are so high. But the, the other side of it in, in, and I'm not arguing this, the other side of this, this is that what the people argue is that this provides jobs to people who wouldn't have. It is bloated. Jobs. Yes, there are apparently 2 million people working yeah. in across broker, health brokerage, insurance uh, companies. There's more than a million people working in those industries. I understand in, that, that you can't just tell them, okay, guys, you're, you're redundant as a middleman. Bye. You're going to cause a huge hole. Obviously, yeah. nothing, nothing like what uh, two weeks of COVID is doing <laughs> to, the, to the global <laughs> economy. But uh, it is bloated, but is that enough a reason to keep it going as it is? Isn't it a smarter idea to kind of start chopping away at it? Maybe by dropping, yes, maybe dropping Medicare age to 60, every, dropping so, it by five years every 10 years and adding a 1% tax on every American. And then maybe in 20 years, the health insurance industry might actually become much smaller. And that money that they're making, that the billions that they're pocketing, goes to you know making bellevue hospital or whatever yeah no no public listen, hospital a better place because it's, 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 it's unsustainable it's not sustainable, not sustainable. I mean, it's a third world country when it comes to that but the problem <laughs> there is this is where america is 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 lucky and unlucky and it, it they can print money out of thin air and not many places can do that if you look at their tr- can, trillion yeah. dollar package to, to to save the economy think other countries can just decide to no, Europe can't do that anymore, obviously, because they're 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 very varied. Small countries can't do it because they can't devalue their currency. Now we like, so I think what's going to happen, unfortunately, is that yes, it needs to change. I'm with you 100. percent I think uh, there's still a lot of things to to work out other than just the funding of it. I think the way we practice medicine and the way uh, the discrepancies between one hospital and the next should flatten. And I think th- that may be part of the solution. Yeah. That would but be great. I think yeah, what America's... That, that probably won't happen because rich people aren't going to walk into the same... Don't want, don't want this, they want to pay for better care. Then they can yeah. and they will. It's not like yeah. Finland where you're the richest child and the poorest child go to the same yeah. level. It's because the lowest happen. common denominator is very low. And I think yeah. if yeah, it is yeah. a bar... And I think, if, honestly, if, if it's a very long-term view on this, I think, personally, for fixing America in general, and I think mm. healthcare is part of it, is is really really dumping all this money into education and actually making people a little bit on par with the rest of the world with their education i think that's the that's the greatest equalizer for making people uh, better competitors in the economy and as a result better voters and as a result more informed yeah, voters more, better informed. and as a result you know more healthy i mean if you're yeah. it's, it's if you're more educated you're you know how many times i have to tell people that eating and ramen is bad for you i mean yeah uh, instant noodles coca <laughs> instant noodles coca-cola non-diet yeah, yeah. is bad for you i yeah. mean it's you know you, comes... you you bring up something funny صح? The, that that's such a great point i think if you watched uh bill maher's new rules segment from a month ago or two months ago he talks about why don't doctors ask you like doctors ask you do you have any conditions are you a smoker are you a drinker they ask they have this he's saying why don't people ask why don't doctors ask people what they've been eating that's the do like, but she's like, going to the like, wrong doctors like, are you are you eating junk food how much junk food do you i eat? do how I much do. coke and, do you drink literally <laughs> because that's like the biggest indicator of your health i think what you what you don't appreciate living in amman and having a car is that we live in what we call um I think they're called uh, food islands or health food islands. And if you go to Harlem, 
mm. six, seven years ago. There's not a grocery store that will sell you stuff that's not canned and processed and bullshit. Yeah. In, in Harlem Hospital, the coffee shop was a McDonald's. Mm. If you don't allow people to access healthy food, they'll go for the nearest and the cheapest. Yeah, and public and schools so, also serve junk food. Uh, junk food. Compared so to, to nicer schools. Yeah, they're yeah. going to be obese. They're going to... And if we're seeing anything, the COVID now, it's very, very clear that obesity is a major risk for death in, yeah. in this disease. And yeah, I keep hearing that about uh, being overweight. Being like overweight a very is, bad sign. Yeah. It's a very bad marker. Very, very bad marker for it. Really, what it comes down to is improving education and i think everything will trickle from there and it's six it's not it's not going to be in our lifetime because you need you need one or two generations to change yeah 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 and i think the problem with the bernie sanders approach and all of these all of them is that they want to fix it now and it's not going to fix now look i get it i get it that that they're pushing for a lot and and uh, from where you're sitting incrementalist change is more makes more sense than than sudden revolution obviously the but the revolution the, will pull everybody. I get it. Exactly. The revolution yeah, yeah, will yeah. push you towards it, you know, when, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. When, it, when it's on the table. It makes people understand that it's possible to ask for free healthcare and yeah. it's possible to ask for free college and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to hammer home more of my disdain for the American healthcare system. Although I, <laughs> although I, love, I love the quality. I, my three children were born in D.C., and every single time, it has been an unbelievably great experience. You have to talk to our friend Omar al who's building a hospital in Jordan. And he had visited a lot of NHS hospitals and a lot of American hospitals. Yeah. And, his, and, and you should talk to him. I'm not going to quote him, okay. but you can talk to him. And I was, I was so shocked by how big, from his perspective at least, how big the difference is with regards to advancing medical care, advancing medicine and providing medical care. In favor Obviously, of which Amer- America, The American system. Americans being way, much better. Is, He's like, he, said, he said the British system is, a, is years ahead of the Jordanian one and the American system is hundreds of years ahead of the, yeah. the, the British Listen, one. That's the British one, not the, not the that's Jordanian true. one. I can, I, 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 I don't, I'm not surprised. I mean, my brother-in-law did two years of hospital work as a doctor in Texas and New York City. And the tech that they're used there, is, he's, he was blown away. And he blew us away with, with the stuff that they're, they're using there compared to Ireland, which is where he practices now. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's obvious. That's something you cannot, you can't, you can, we can't, we can't argue. Um, you ask why the system is not going to change, and it's similar to the COVID thing. It's a really good analogy because for you as the individual, when you go through the system and you're insured, which is the, which are still the majority of people, they are insured. The, the experience is actually quite good. It's not that bad of an experience for someone who has private insurance. Inta, you who just who was so against the system, yet you 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 applauded for it being actually a good experience. Because I had insurance. Uh, I understand that. For Inta, as as a voter who has that insurance. Oh yeah, you're not going to look at the system and you're like, what's wrong with this? You know this. Exactly. I, I'm a, you know well, you get that, up yeah. or get better insurance or yeah. this is not really a problem for me. Um, and so, the, and so culturally, you're not going to be able to change people to think, why would I want the federal government, which really is inept in many ways in this country, especially now, to, to run this show when private, en- private enterprise is doing a much better job? That's no, yeah, yes, and private enterprise does a great job when, because, because, because they're very incentive to, to be profitable, hence their incentive to have excellent service. Absolutely. And, it's, and it goes attract, hand in hand, for sure. Attract talent. Attract talent big time with big pay. As you know, is the U.S. going to wait until the number of people that are being trampled on because the health insurance system is 
profit before people, basically. Insurance companies that, that, that are in charge of, of, of accepting a charge. Let's say you have a, a procedure that's kind of elective, but it's kind of an emergency. It's halfway in between. The insurance company that you've been paying, for, your employer has been paying for for years, is going to fuck you. More likely, you're going to fuck you over. If they end up, they're saying, okay, it's all right. You know, I get it. The insurance company needs to make money. That's not how it's supposed to be. Because no. healthcare, awesome. this is the analogy that a lot of progressives use. When your house is on fire, everybody pays in for the fire department. I know it's a much smaller bill and your house isn't going to burn down in your lifetime. Most likely it'll never burn down. But it's the same thing. You're not supposed to get different, different kind of service when your house is burning down. It should be the same thing for your body. Of course, uh, the libertarian and capitalist and right-wing way to think about it is like, oh, if you're overweight, fuck you. You're going to be, char- your bill is going to be huge. You're going to be a drain on our community. So that's true. It's the same way unemployment checks. There's going to be freeloaders that want to sit at home and play Nintendo all day and collect their check. But because of those 2%, you're going to make 10% of the population who actually are hardworking skip out on it. This is the whole issue with... Yeah, um, it's an individualist society here. That's really what... Absolutely. The, numbers, the number of people in the U.S., and I wish I had, I'll bring up maybe the stats later, that are unhappy with their employer, uh, unhappy with their job, but are sticking to it because they're afraid of losing their insurance. Yeah, I brought this. People are not willing to leave their jobs. Can I, ask you a question? can I ask you a pers- personal question? Yeah. Why does it bother you so much? You don't even live here. You're right. Why does it bother me? Honestly, I used to pay $450 a month to, I think it was Aetna or Blue Cross, something like that, every fucking month for six years just so i my wife gives birth in her hometown in maryland and there's a god forbid a complication i don't get stuck with a hundred thousand dollar two hundred thousand dollar bill and that money for me was so painful to pay and then the insurance broker takes a shaves a lot of money off of that i think 30 percent goes to the broker who does nothing the broker literally tells you you know the premiums this the deductibles that and they and that company makes literally a billion dollars a year in, in turnover and makes a hundred million dollars in profit for doing nothing, for being so, the middle. So, so, so for me, it, when I think about moving to the U.S., I think about that every day, leaving Jordan and moving to the U.S. and being an entrepreneur in the U.S. I think about, oh my God, what if I get into an accident? I'm going to get bankrupt. The figures about people, entrepreneurs that don't have insurance that go bankrupt from medical yeah. Bills is insane. And that doesn't yeah. happen in Canada, doesn't happen in the UK, doesn't happen in 30 countries around the world. Yeah, but the thing is here, that's, that's why also, I'm passionate that's about that's it. That's also the minority, right? The majority of people are insured, insured through their jobs. So oh, I yeah. never have to with a broker and I barely pay sure. into that, the, my insurance. That's another reason it's not going to change it. Hadi, thank you so much. Dr. My Hadi pleasure. Uh, it's <laughs> been Don't awesome. call me doctor. <laughs> Doctor, mm-hmm. I've never called you doctor before. No, I don't think you should ever again. <laughs> uh, it's been great, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No, good luck with the endeavor. Let me know if uh, I can uh, help in any more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, you can, uh, if you want this mic to jump in with an interview of your own as part of the Howdy Arabia podcast, uh, this is this platform is, you know, it's is, uh, is not just for me. We should say goodbye, like say, uh, Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>